Welcome to KUOW Speakers Forum. I'm your host, John O'Brien. In this extra episode, journalist David K. Johnston has known and reported on President Donald Trump for nearly 30 years. When they first met in Atlantic City, New Jersey, Johnston says he recognized Trump as, quote, the P.T. Barnum of our age. He has also said about Trump, and repeats in this talk, that, quote, Donald doesn't know anything. In 2016, Johnston published a damning book, The Making of Donald Trump. The work detailed Trump's avoidance of military service, his failure as a self-proclaimed philanthropist, and a litany of other personal and business failures. Johnston's latest work is, It's Even Worse Than You Think, What the Trump Administration is Doing to America. In it, he describes that administration as a cacistocracy, that is, government by the least qualified or most unprincipled citizens. In a call to action, he says, Donald Trump is an employee of our government, and we need to act like owners. The social research shows that if everybody voted, if we had mandatory voting like the Australians do, we'd have a totally different Congress. People like Paul Ryan would not have a shot because this country in many ways is much more socially advanced and economically concerned about the same things the Europeans are, taking away financial shocks from people so they can have decent lives. This talk was presented on January 29th at the Summit on Pike as part of Town Hall Seattle's Civics series. Sonia Harris recorded the proceedings. Here, Town Hall Seattle's Ware Harmon introduces David K. Johnston. David K. Johnston is a journalist, author, and winner of the 2001 Pulitzer Prize for Beat Reporting. Um, his works include a trilogy called, uh, beginning in 2003 with Perfectly Legal on Taxes, uh, carrying on in 2007 with Free Lunch on Subsidies, and concluding in 2012 with The Fine Print on Monopolies. Uh, his, he's chronicled Donald Trump's conduct in his books Temples of Chance and the New York Times bestselling The Making of Donald Trump uh, from 2016. He's been called one of America's most important journalists by the Washington Monthly, and he has acted as an uncredited source of documents and insight for major campaign reports by the Washington Post, the New York Times, Bloomberg, and network television. His new book, It's Even Worse Than You Think, What the Trump Administration is Doing to America, is the subject of tonight's talk. Please join me in welcoming David K. Johnston. Well, how nice of you to all come out on this rainy evening. How nice of the sponsors. How romantic. You know, they turn the lights down. So um, one of the things I don't want to do is make you leave here more depressed than I suspect most of you are. Um, so I will, I will do my best to have a positive outlook. I am, after all, a provably incurable optimist because I have eight children. So if you have been following what Donald Trump is doing in the news, you don't know what's in my book. In the news business, we tend to cover politics and controversy. We don't tend to cover government. 
uh, when the New York Times hired me to cover taxes and the IRS, um, I had people who, in their voice, I could just tell they thought, oh my God, your career is ruined. And I said, no, 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 you don't understand. Nobody's covered it right. I'm going to make people think much differently about our tax system. And it is substance with Donald Trump that you should care about. Not so much his tweets, his whose button is bigger nonsense, even his racism, as what he is doing to our government, as our employee, as our subordinate. I, I call him Donald, and I have people all the time, they go, why don't you call him Mr. President? And I go, because I know him, and because we're equals. We have just temporarily imbued him with the power to act on our behalf. But he's not a king, he's not special, nor is Barack Obama or Jimmy Carter or anybody else. The President of the United States is our employee and we're his boss and we own our government and we ought to act like owners. <laughs> well, your ownership interests are being damaged because what has happened is Donald, who really literally doesn't know anything, When he came into office, brought with him really awful people. The, now, the ancient Greeks, and I used to teach at Syracuse Law's, Syracuse Law and its graduate business school, the law of the ancient world. I taught the property law, property and tax law one semester, and the business regulation law the other. And one of the things my students learned in both courses was that the ancient Greeks had a name for a government run by the worst of us, the least qualified, the most venal, the least caring about their fellow man. They called it a cacistocracy. And it has sort of a nice tone to it, you know, caca, cacistocracy. <laughs> and so who did Trump bring in with him? Well, you can see some of these people all the time. There's Stephen Miller, who, you know, his high school graduation speech in Santa Monica was a racist diatribe. Uh, he was mentored by Richard Spencer from not that far from here in Whitefish, Montana. He brought in Steve Bannon, who says, I'm a Leninist, by which he means I want to destroy the existing order. And that's what they're working on doing. For example, housing and urban development, tens of billions of dollars of your tax dollars every year. In many cases, frankly, not very well spent, not very thoughtfully spent. But the guy who's the head of the agency, I kid you not, he has said this publicly, he believes that the pyramids at Giza are granaries. They're not tombs, they're granaries. And this guy's in charge of housing and urban development. Betsy DeVos, heiress, marries an heir, huge fortune. I will say this, when she travels around the country in her private jet, at least she doesn't bill us. But has never attended a public school, but is a huge believer in the benefits of corporate and religious education. Anybody, uh, if you want to ask about the charter school movement and say, well, let's talk about Detroit. It'll be like, could we talk about anything else, the end of the world? Because the Detroit setup, which she was deeply involved in, is just a disaster. She is confronted with the problem of student loans. Now, for most of this audience, like me, when we went to college, there were no, we didn't need student loans. College was free. At least if you went in California, it was completely free. And a lot of other places, it was so cheap, it was irrelevant. You could just get a summer job and pay for school. We now have over a trillion dollars of student debt, and a lot of it at these creepy, not very good 
for-profit commercial colleges. So Nancy, Betsy DeVos says, we're going to fix this problem. So who does she bring in? Lobbyists from the companies that made the loans that caused the problem. By the way, she's an investor in a debt collection company, too. <laughs> Student loan debt collection. Now, it's an irrelevant amount of money to her multi-billion dollar fortune, but the symbolism is pretty awful. The Trump, when Trump came in, he fired every ambassador. Now, legally, he can do that. He has a right to do it. Of course, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should, or as the Mormons like to say, he who must be commanded in all things is a slothful and unwise servant. And Donald didn't have anybody to replace these people. So he goes around saying, terrorism, we have terrorism, we have to be alert for the terrorists. But we don't have an ambassador in Egypt, or Jordan, or Saudi Arabia, or Libya. And in countries like Australia, the most lapdog loyal supporter of America, we don't have an ambassador either, which means when there are important commercial deals being discussed, we're not at the table. How many people in this room have ever heard of the RCEP? Couple of people. This is really important to the lives of your, maybe not yours, but certainly your children, grandchildren, and other heirs. Donald ran for president attacking the Trans-Pacific Partnership. If any journalist had said, well, tell us exactly what it is. Well, you know, it's, it's trade, and it's, it's like big. It's, it's big. It's, it's like it's so it's Pacific, and it's, you know, really big. I was a critic of the TPP. I was one of the leading critics of it because it needed to be fixed. It added monopoly powers. It added corporate powers. It diminished human powers. All fixable problems. Donald kills it. He doesn't replace it with anything. He doesn't know anything about trade. So what does President Xi do? He begins promoting his plan, the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership. Instead of 12 countries in the Pacific, excluding China, that was the TPP, because partly it was designed to contain China's economic, military, and political ambitions, this is 15 Pacific Rim countries, plus India, but not us. And what are the trade emissaries from China telling these countries? Well, when I was in Australia in the fall to lecture, everybody I talked to, government officials, academics, business people, journalists, the chambermaid who made up my room, they were all like, well, you know, we're going we're to have to get closer to China and pay more attention to China because that's the only option. Nobody has done more to help China increase its power and authority in the world than Donald Trump. And the Chinese embassy, emissaries, they go around saying, listen, you need to tilt away from Washington. Quit pivoting to them. Pivot to us. You want to be wealthy in the future? Look at our highways. Look at our airports. Look at our infrastructure. Look at the people we're employing. Look at the wealth we're creating. That country? That country? Its railroads are falling apart. It's... Its buildings leak, they're not fixing anything, and look who's in the White House. And they're succeeding because you have no choice, to quote Donald. If you want to have a trade partnership, that's what you've got to do. Last summer, <clears throat> Donald went to Poland, and he gave a speech. And he was surrounded by adoring people. 
because the right-wing government of Poland made sure that anybody who wasn't part of their ruling party was kept many blocks away. And anybody with a TV camera who tried to go see the protesters many blocks away got stopped to make sure there was no negative coverage. And Donald gets up and says, oh, it's so wonderful how you people love me, love me. Because, of course, we created the presidency to adore the president, right? At the very day he's doing this, at the very moment he's doing this, Shinzo Abe is in Brussels signing a Japanese-European Union trade deal. So we've got two major trade partnerships going on in the world, and we're not involved in it at all. And what does Donald do? I'm going to kill NAFTA. There are problems with NAFTA. There are things we've got to fix with NAFTA. A lot of things we can fix. But that's not his answer. And I want to get Mexico to cooperate, so I'm going to make them pay for a wall, please. <clears throat> veterans. Donald says, I love veterans. Now, I pay a lot of attention to that. My dad was 100% disabled veteran of World War II. You can imagine the economic circumstances that I grew up in as a result were sort of less than terrific. Donald goes around saying, we're going to take care of the vets. I'm, I'm all for the vets. So his first budget proposes that for many disabled vets who are getting $35,000 a year, not exactly a fortune, when they reach normal retirement age, they will be cut to $13,000 a year. Now, it hasn't happened, and it's not going to happen, but the point is someone who's for the vets would never propose that. Donald Trump tells you, oh, I, I love the cops. You know, they're, they're so important, the police. You know, I'm, the Democrats, they don't like the police. I'm so for the police. So what does the new tax bill do? Well, it eliminated miscellaneous deductions. So police officers and firefighters and EMTs and other uniformed personnel who had to buy a uniform and had to dry clean their uniforms, in the case of cops, had to usually buy their own guns and bullets, they no longer get to deduct that. Tell me how this is showing, you know, your love and affection for the cops. Now, <clears throat> a lot of the stuff in my book about what's happening to our government, about how Trump's team, not Donald personally, because he's lazy. He spends five hours a day on the job of being president, an hour of that's having lunch. They have loosed into our government what I call political termites. And I call them that because unseen by the public, these people are eating away at the structure of our government. They are taking the investment that you have made after years and years and years in the State Department, in climate science, in controlling polluters, in improving public health, in running the FBI, and they are forcing out the people who are competent and diligent and know what they're doing unless they toe the line that, you know, as Donald said today, on climate change, well, you know, it's getting hotter and colder. <laughs> and there's, there's record ice in the Arctic. It was record lost ice in the Arctic. And this isn't what's being covered. And this stuff matters. Donald's crazy tweets, you know, they may be insulting. They're certainly entertaining. But it's what's happening to our government that is going to affect your pocketbook, the RCEP, as an example. They're going to affect maybe not you and I in terms of getting asthma or heart disease or cancer, from how the companies that produce toxics have been freed up to dump their stuff instead of clean it up like they used to or segregate it. But if you have grandchildren or great-grandchildren, they're going to be affected, and they're going to be affected even if Donald's out of office next week because it'll take a long time to repair these things. 
the Trump administration stopped posting information about workers dying on the job. 4,800 people a year die at work in this country from something doing with their job. And the fines are so minor that there actually are some awful employers who just as soon pay the fine than go to safe practices. So shaming these people was a project, particularly in the last administration. Well, they stopped posting the notices about these deaths. We reported about that at dcreport.org, singular, dcreport.org, which is a nonprofit news service my friends and I started. It's mostly volunteer. We don't sell your name. We don't have ads. It's public service. And they then started putting them back up for a while. And I can't prove the cause and effect. I can only tell you the timeline. But this administration has not posted information on the death of an American worker on the job since August 17th. And I have no reason to believe they're going to post anymore. They don't care. If anything, it's this is improper for government to do these things. Now, <clears throat> we don't have to put up with this. That's the important message. How did this happen and what do we do about it? Those are the questions to ask. And how did Donald Trump become president? The American people put him there. We chose. And he lost the popular vote, even though he insists he really won it. It was all those illegals. But um, he won the Electoral College. The Electoral College, which was created by the framers of our Constitution for a very specific purpose. We don't even teach its purpose. Its purpose was because the framers were so concerned about mob rule, about zealots getting loose, and were ruining our democracy. They put in the Electoral College as a backstop so that if somehow the public became inflamed with passion and put in an unqualified, crazy person, the Electoral College would deny them the office. Well, because we haven't used it for over 200 years, it atrophied. And the electors who had the absolute right to vote this way didn't do so. A couple of them did, about six of them, but not enough. So the whole idea of this country is that we choose. We decide our fate. King George doesn't decide our fate. Somebody else doesn't. We do. But we've, many of us, stopped choosing. I have sat in blue-collar bars in Indiana and Ohio and Michigan and Wisconsin, where I don't go dressed like this. I go dressed like I'm a blue-collar guy. And some event will happen on the screen. And I'm, I don't follow sports. I'm of the school that if Marx had been born 100 years later, he would have said commercial sports are the opiate of the masses. <laughs> but some play occurs, and suddenly the room is alive, and everybody's picking it apart, and people will they'll cite, you know, Major League Baseball rule number whatever, and, and by memory tell you what it says. I was once in a bar where somebody argued that, and the bartender pulls out the rule book from behind the bar and says, no, Jake's right. I mean, it's incredible analytical skill. Then you ask a question about politics. I don't want anything to do Dirty. Don't want anything to do with it. You know, that's, that's I, nothing. Well, that's how you get Donald Trump in the White House. Not having young people be involved. How many, how many people, raise your hand in this room, are under 30? Well, that's more than I usually get. Okay? And I encourage you, the next time you come to an Elliott Bay Books event, 
about matters of politics and economics, bring somebody who's younger. You know, bring somebody, kid from down the street, college student you know. You know, if you don't have a grandchildren or children of your own here, somebody's. But bring young people. Get them to come. Put up the five bucks for them. But people in America, we know very little. We don't pay attention to politics. And we don't do it because, of course, that's what we've been trained to do. What's one of the sayings? You can't fight City Hall. Sure you can. I've written about people my whole life who've done it. Well, I don't have any power. Nonsense. You have the vote. The social research shows that if everybody voted, if we had mandatory voting like the Australians do, we would have a totally different Congress. People like Paul Ryan would not have a shot. Because this country, in many ways, is much more socially advanced and economically concerned about the same things the Europeans are, taking away financial shocks from people so they can have decent lives. But a lot of people don't vote. Or as my best friend who is uh, eh, basically a socialist at heart, Wall Street Journal editor. It's my best friend he always likes to say, screw the poor. The poor get screwed because they don't vote. You go tell them, if you'd vote, you wouldn't get screwed. And they say, no, I'm not going to vote. Screw the poor. That's our policy in America. And we've done it to middle class people and working class people. You know the average income of the bottom 90% of Americans in 1967, that's the year I finished high school, was higher than in 2012? The bottom 90% of people in America are ticked off a lot of them, and with good reason. You drive across this country, and you can go into little towns all over Nebraska and Kansas and parts of Minnesota, and you'll find that, you know, all sorts of people tweaking on meth. No jobs. Places falling apart. We don't have to have it that way. We chose to do this. Some of us chose by not being involved. Some of us chose by electing politicians. But whatever the conditions are in this country, there is one absolute to them. We chose. Nobody forced us to elect the people who are in office. No foreign potentate came and said, you have to be this way. We chose. People turned to Donald Trump because he took the message in my trilogy, free lunch, about subsidies, perfectly legal about taxes, and the fine print about monopolies, and distilled from it the basic message. And I said in 2012, anybody who runs for president on the basic message in these books is going to get elected. And that message was, Washington has been taking care of the rich and powerful, and in many, many ways, they have passed laws and rules you've never heard of unless you read my books, where they subtly take money out of your pocket and redistribute it to people at the top. And if I could get people to read these books and to understand the mechanisms by which, without even your realizing it, every single day, Warren Buffett has his hand in your pocket. The pipeline companies have their hands in your pocket. The cable television companies and the pharmacy companies and the land title companies have their hand in your pocket through laws and rules that, except for the people who benefited from them, nobody, nobody knew about. They'll, they'll get elected president. And Donald, who I know watched me on TV, distilled the essence of that message. Drain the swamp. And so what did he do once he got in office? 
Well, he took the swamp and turned it into a federally protected paradise for swamp monsters. He ran against Goldman Sachs. He brought six people from Goldman Sachs into his administration. Did the exact opposite of what he said. So what do we do about this? Well, the most important thing that's going to happen in the history of America since the Civil War will occur in this country in November. If we keep the Congress we have, Donald Trump will do just fine. He may get a second term. Despite all the polls, he might get a second term. What have the Republicans told us? I mean, they're crystal clear about what's going on. They will destroy the FBI to protect Donald Trump. Now, I've written lots of things negative about the FBI and political spying, and I've exposed foreign agents and written about a lot of corrupt police activities. But at the end of the day, most of the people in the FBI are really trying hard to do a good job. Oh, no, 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 no. There's a cabal. You know, they're with Hillary. And yet the man in the White House is deeply involved with a foreign power. I mean, can you imagine when you were in high school, to those of you in the audience who are my age or older, if you went to high school in the 40s, 50s, or 60s, can you imagine if you'd had a high school civics teacher who said, the day is going to come when there'll be a Republican president who will praise the leader in the Kremlin, he will denounce the FBI, the CIA, and all the other American intelligence agencies, and the Republicans in Congress will take his side and back him up. Now, I don't know about you, but I would have gone to the principal's office and said, Mr. Jones needs to be seen by a psychiatrist. <laughs> but that's where we are. What matters is who turns out to vote in this next election. Gerrymandering, which is how the minority party, the Republican Party, and I'm a registered Republican of many, many years standing, manages to be in control is based on some simple math that you can overcome. You create districts that are 53, 54, if you have to, 55% your party, and then you take everybody you think isn't with you, and you corral them over here in districts that are 70, 80, and at least one case that I know of, almost 90% Democrats, or people you think will vote with the Democrats. Well, you can defeat a district that's 53 or 54 or 55%. You just turn out the vote. Scott Walker, governor of Wisconsin. Remember he had a recall a couple of years ago? He didn't get recalled. The polling data indicated he could have been recalled. You know why he didn't get recalled? Because the brilliant political strategist from the Democratic Party and the unions decided they were going to try and outspend the Koch brothers on TV ads. <laughs> Nothing you can spend, outspend the Koch brothers on. Had they instead gone to people and said, hey, Joe or Mary, I know you're out of work. We want you to come to the polls, 5 o'clock, election day, bring your car. We're going to put somebody else in the car with you. We're going to fill your gas tank. At the end of the day, we're going to give you a couple hundred bucks and fill your gas tank again, and we want you to drive people to the polls. They would have spent 10% as much money, and they would have gotten him out. You've got to get people to vote. Now, if you live in a district where it doesn't matter, either you like your congressperson, and you think they're going to deal with Trump appropriately, or you live in a district where there's no possibility of replacing that congressperson, get in your car and drive to another congressional district. Call there, contact people there in advance, 
and work on that district and, and make change. Yet, if you can't go do it, get your Aunt Sally or your nephew Jack or your next door neighbor to go do it. But don't just gripe. You know, posting notes on the internet doesn't do anything. It may make you feel good, but it doesn't change anything. And we have the votes. And it's clear that there are plenty of Americans, more than enough, to change Congress. And why do you need to change Congress? Because the Republicans will never deal with Donald Trump. Now, Robert Mueller's report, when it comes out, I can tell you broadly what it's going to show for my 30 years of knowing Donald. He's a tax cheat. He was tried twice, civilly, for tax fraud. Totally lost the cases. Had no defensible conduct. One of the questions I've asked recently is, gee, did he have the audacity to take a deduction for paying off Stormy Daniels? <laughs> and Stormy Daniels and the Playboy Playmate, I assure you, are not the only ones out there. He's been doing money laundering for the Russians for years. He's done all sorts of things, deals with the Russians that make no economic sense. When he sold the, the disgusting mansion that was torn down a few miles from Mar-a-Lago to Dmitry Ribolovlev, the cover story was Ribolovlev was hiding assets from his wife. Now, you should think about this for a minute. You're wealthy, you're having a horrible divorce with your spouse, and you want to hide money. So, of course, you're going to immediately go out and pay twice what something is worth. If you want to throw your money away, that makes sense. But Vladimir Putin was investing in Donald Trump the same way venture capitalists do. You invest in 100 potential successes, 95 of them lose every penny you put into them, four of them make up for the 95, and then you get a grand slam home run like Alphabet or um, uh, Amazon. The Kremlin got Donald Trump. Donald Trump is not a loyal American. And if you doubt that, Go home, look up the email that Rob Goldstone sent to Don Trump Jr. in June of 2016 and read the fourth paragraph. As part of Russia's efforts to help. Now that's not a, hey, we'd like to help you, would you be interested email. That's a, we're already in business together, we got a new investment opportunity email. And this is an email that a month after it was sent, Don Jr. said didn't exist. Jake Tapper asked him about it on CNN. That when the New York Times sussed this out finally a year later and Don Jr. put it out, after that, the Trump White House and Don Jr. told six different stories, none of which can be true, all of which are incompatible with each other, one of which was dictated by the President of the United States on Air Force One coming back from Paris, and all of which show a conspiracy between Donald Trump and the Kremlin. And why people are not in the streets over this is astonishing to me. It's because Donald is masterful at saying, first of all, collusion. I don't care about collusion. First of all, collusion is not a crime. It's a conspiracy by a foreign power to put its guy in the White House in which he was a willing participant. Mueller's report's going to be really devastating. But without public hearings, the public isn't going to be ready for it. When Watergate happened, it was dismissed for a long time as... And then we had Sam Irvin, a senator from North Carolina, nice old country lawyer Sam Irvin, who suddenly realized he was going to be in the history books, and by golly, his grandchildren were not going to read anything about him except that he was an American hero and patriot.
And those hearings went on night, day, well, most of us watched them at night on PBS, but day after day after day after day, and bit by bit, people began to learn what was going on in the Nixon White House. And at the end of the day, the difference between Donald Trump and Richard Nixon is real simple. Richard Nixon's a patriot. He's a crook, and he's paranoid, and he made lots of bad decisions, and he deserved to be pushed out of office. But at the end of the day, he did the patriotic thing. He resigned as president. Donald Trump is pushed out of office. I'll tell you what he's going to do. He will travel the country for the rest of his life doing on a bigger scale what he did during the campaign. Beat that person up. I'll pay your legal bills. He's trying to get votes, and he says this. Now imagine he's out of office, what he'll say. He will foment violence and revolution. And I have written for almost 50 years now about people who literally believe, I've been to their conventions, that the government of the United States is a criminal organization, needs to be overthrown. There are books they write about it, there are meetings they have, there are fringe groups, but boy, Donald will he'll be right in there with them. You have the power to do something. The first thing you have to do is get informed, which is part of the reason I want you to read my book, so that you know what they're doing, not just what he's tweeting, not just his crazy racist statements, not just his flip-flops because he has no principles of any kind except the adoration and the glorification of the world's smartest, greatest memory, Donald Trump. You know, a man who says he can learn everything you need to know about nuclear missiles in 90 minutes and who also says he's one of the world's leading experts on a subject on which I am recognized around the world as an expert, tax policy, a subject in which he says, I know nothing of accounting. If you don't know any of accounting, that's like saying, I'm the world's greatest pilot, but I don't know what a wing is. <laughs> they just don't go together. But people have to build a case. You can't just say, I don't like the guy. You've got to also have a positive case. What am I going to do? We get rid of Donald Trump. Why are we going to do that? Why are we going to have somebody else? We're going to have somebody else because, hey, you know what? We want back the Clean Air and Water Act that Richard Nixon signed into law because a lot fewer of us have died from cancer and asthma and heart disease. We want to have a society in which we're not going to bed worried that we're going to get into a nuclear war. We don't want a president who goes around saying, of course we're going to use nukes, as he did. Because we want to have a Department of Housing and Urban Development run by somebody who actually knows something about housing and urban development. We want to have an FBI that isn't demoralized and where people aren't punished for doing the right thing. And you have the power to do that. You have the power to do that. That means you have to get organized. You need to raise the awareness of other people. You've got to patiently listen to people who don't agree with you. And respect the fact that a lot of people have been sold the con. They really think that Donald Trump is a demigod, not Gog, God. That he is their savior. There are many people, like a woman who sent me an email from Indiana who said, Mr. Johnston, I've been watching you on TV and I don't understand now that we have a fine Christian family man in the White House. <laughs> Your head reels at that, except if you only read Breitbart or watched Fox News, you'd believe that. You would believe that. If you watch, look at Breitbart and Fox News, you know, I'm probably the leader of the Sharia-loving, let's overthrow the government 
Muslim crowd. And the Democrats, you know, they just want to take all your money for themselves. You need to persuade people. But where you can't persuade people, that's okay. You're not going to persuade everybody. On the day Richard Nixon resigned, 29% of Americans supported him. 29%. Not one member of Congress in either party, but 29% of Americans. And, and that's not surprising if you know a little bit about demographics of America. Fox News for years did very, very good polling. Roger Ailes may have been a lot of things, but he was really understood he needed good polling. So year after year after year, Fox News did a poll about religiosity. About 42 to 44% of Americans believe there's an angel following them around. About 27, 8%, 9% year after year believe in witches. But in what I think is a pretty good measure of sexism, only about 22 or 3% believe in warlocks. <laughs> well, there's going to be a crowd of people who will always be with Donald. People who, they don't want to sit next to a Latino in the airplane, they don't want an Asian in the cockpit, and God forbid they don't want to have to report to a black woman boss. They hate the civil rights movement. There has been a movement in this country for a long, long time to repeal the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments. We've had members of Congress speak in favor of this. Gets almost no news coverage, but it's out there. You're not going to change those people. Get the people who are changeable. Persuade them. Get them to register to vote. Get them to the polls. Elect a different Congress. And when we get a different Congress, we'll get somewhere. And there's one more crucial element to this. Pay attention to who's running. I was sent a video the other day that uh, it's sort of like Instagram. You know, I could watch it and then I couldn't watch it again. And it was a couple of young people, good-looking, earnest, clean-cut. They're going to run for Congress as Democrats against Donald Trump. And then local TV reporters asked them some questions. And it was immediately clear they knew nothing about the government. They didn't understand the House from the Senate. They didn't understand the Constitution. I mean, these people were just eviscerated as idiots. And they didn't have Donald Trump's skill to buffalo their way out of the questions. You can't run incompetent people if you want to change the Congress. You've got to get people who know what to do and get them to do it. It's our government. We own it. We need to act like owners. And if we don't, well, tough luck. We will slide into becoming a fascist state over time because there are people, I assure you, I don't know who they are, but knowing what I know of human nature and over 50 years of reporting, there are people who are looking at Donald and saying, boy, if you could get a candidate who didn't have Donald's deficits, somebody who's actually smart, actually educated, someone who doesn't speak in word salad. It's beautiful, it's beautiful, it's terrific, it's just, it's gorgeous, it's terrific, but can speak in coherent ways, and who is organized and can appoint people. You can take over this country. You could turn us into a fascist state. It wouldn't be that hard. We're at a real deciding point in this country about what we want in our future. Now, we can endure Donald Trump. What we need is to have such decisive action that it pushes back so strongly. It is such a powerful political force that we don't have to worry for at least another generation or two about people like Donald Trump coming into office and doing something. 
So please don't leave here feeling depressed. There's plenty to be depressed about, plenty to be down about, but energized by the thought that, yeah, we can do something, and I'm going to do it. I want us to have a new Congress. I don't expect I'm going to like everything our new Congress does. I don't expect it to be perfect. Look at the progress we've made in this country. This was a country that started off with the great compromise that you could own human beings. We got rid of that. It costs us the equivalent uh, in today's population of six million of us dying, of whom, by the way, about 15% were black Americans. But we, we got rid of that. Women got the right to vote because men voted it for them. The only people who could were men. The advocates in the late, 18th, late 19th century for child labor laws were denounced by the Jerry Falwell Juniors and the uh, other, uh, you know, today's TV preacher types who said, it is God's plan that these children work in the factories and those who, are opposed, who propose these child labor laws are the agents of the devil. We got child labor laws. We got laws that allowed the organizing of workers for unions. And what does Pope Francis say about that? There's no economic justice without unions because workers cannot, with the exception of people who are name brand talent, negotiate for their pay. At the end of the day, if you're a secretary, a doctor, a lawyer, a police officer, a firefighter, a biologist, you're a commodity. Other people can do something unless there's something unique and unusual. It's a very tiny segment, small segment of the population that's like that. If you don't have a union, you're never going to get paid what you should. We had union laws, and then we let them fritter away. We have these environmental laws that are still on the books. We need to go back and enforce them. We need to be building a better America in the future, not a worse one. So figure out what are you going to do, and do it. Resolve and actually do it. And if you don't do it, don't complain. It's as simple as that. Just don't complain. So I, I want to thank people for coming tonight, and I want to take a lot, of, a lot of questions. I'm going to have one rule when you come up to ask a question. If you can't ask a cogent question, I'm going to cut you off, let you figure out how to edit your question while I talk to the next person, and then we'll come back to you. I'm not going to stop you, but I, let's ask questions, all right? So you have a question? Just turn the mic. You and I and everyone knows the media is diverse, and yet it's lambasted, and it's a source of doing a lot of the work you mentioned. How do you think we can rehabilitate the image too many unthinking people have of the media so that they yeah. go to it in a thoughtful oh, manner? Yeah. Well, there has been a more than 40-year, very well-financed, sustained campaign from the right in this country to denigrate honest journalism. I've been the subject of a lot of it. I've tangled with these people a lot. And my answer to it is, you know, you, you have verifiable facts that you can prove are the case. Now that more of that is being picked up as a lesson, of course, the answer is, well, there are no facts. There are alternative facts. Um, um, fundamentally, though, News organizations are going to do what news organizations do, especially in this era of much reduced budgets. They're going to tend to cover the sizzle more than the steak. 
New York Times does a great job of trying to get at the stake, but even so, they do more sizzle than anybody else. They're going to cover the controversy a lot more than the underlying issue. And even at the Wall Street Journal, lots of reporters write stories that I read every day where I go, boy, that's a really interesting story to read and it makes coherent sense, except the economics are nonsense because the writer doesn't know economics. And we're just not going to be able to fundamentally, I think, change that. But, you know, when we started this country, we had party press. And they just made up stories. I spent a lot of time studying the early days of our republic and the red, literally read reproductions of newspapers from back then. And it's amazing. I mean, they just make, you know, Governor so-and-so is having an affair with this, this woman, and there's no such woman. <laughs> it's not like they got it wrong. They just made it up. And we survived that, okay? Um, I do think we need to have a full frontal assault, though, on the President of the United States going around saying fake news. Um, but, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't, you know, I'm in the diagnosis business generally, not the solutions business. So tonight's talk was solutions, but, sir. What are your suggestions, or what is your solution? To for political tribalism. How do we learn to talk to one another? Well, political tribalism. Does people know what political tribalism mean? It's this notion that we've broken down into groups where there's the other and there's us, and we don't talk to the others, and we don't listen to the others. That's part of the reason I told the story about walking into blue-collar bars, which, by the way, I didn't do recently. This was years ago. Um, there, you know, when there are big social changes, you have to let them run out. Part of the reason Donald Trump is in office is the same reason the Taliban are on the rise and we see uh, ultra-Orthodox Jews with some of the things they're promoting in Israel and we see ultra-Orthodox Muslims with some of their policies like the, the Taliban. And it's that there's a segment of the world population that just cannot cope with the incredibly rapid rate of change. Human knowledge since World War II has been growing I wouldn't be shocked to find out it would be correct to say logarithmatically, but it's absolutely been going, growing geometrically. And if I'm correct about this, that there are a segment of people who they want their white picket fence and they want minorities to know their place and they want women to, you know, keep their mouths shut and, bring, bring, and fix dinner, you can put your hand up, but the tsunami's just going to run over you. It's a social tsunami and it's got to run its energy out. So if you're a journalist, the only thing you can do is make a record. Tell everybody what's going on because eventually they will recognize it because the energy will run out. And the other is, be nice to other people. Talk to other people, listen to other people. Be nice to other people. Change the nature of the intercommunications you have on a personal level with people. Don't cut people off in traffic. I mean, a little thing like that. I live in Rochester, New York, where people do not cut you off in traffic. They'll stop and they'll let you turn. I mean, there have been studies done about this. Why is Rochester like this? Because we have a culture that that's what we're going to do. And, you know, we stop for people. And if you, you drop your, your umbrella on the windy street, there are people who will chase after it and get it for you. It's just a cultural phenomenon we've created there you can have everywhere. You don't have to have traffic like L.A. does where everybody cuts everybody off. So some interaction. But listen to people and respect that people don't have to agree with you. People don't have to agree with you. We need to agree on what the basic facts are. We don't have to agree with the interpretation of the facts. 
So beyond that, I don't know. I'm not a sociologist. question is about uh, Pence. Um, we kind of have a picture of what the con man, Agent Orange, is like now. But Michael could, Pence. Could you comment on Michael Pence yeah. and if he should have a chance at the office? With that you, you've actually addressed what I think is potentially going to be an enormous constitutional crisis and could lead to violence in this country. Um, the, the, there is, I don't want to be on a downer now, but there is no good ending to Trump's leaving office. We will endure this, we will get past this, but his leaving office, there's no good ending. Assume he serves two terms, it's still not going to be a good ending because when he leaves, he's going to claim he was cheated somehow and the, the, we should repeal the, what is it, the 22nd Amendment that uh, says two terms. Um, if, he's not going to be removed under the 25th Amendment. That only works when the president has either, as with Ronald Reagan, was shot, and God forbid I don't want that to happen to Donald Trump, um, and, and he's out of commission, he's under anesthesia, it works voluntarily, it doesn't work to remove somebody. It's just not going to happen. So assume that the Democrats get control of Congress, and they decide to remove Donald Trump, and they make a case and persuade the American public that this is the Russians' candidate, and the man is disloyal, and he's a criminal. It won't be hard to prove he's a criminal. Can Mike Pence become president? Because he is also the beneficiary of the Russians interfering in our election. And Mike Pence has been credibly reported to have gone around telling his friends, you know, that God put him here. And God has a purpose and a plan. He doesn't know what it is, but that's why he's there. This guy's a small-town radio talk show host who should go back to being a small-town radio talk show host. But if the Congress were to remove, under the Democrats, both men, and I think they have to do that if they're going to use the Russians, then the Speaker of the House becomes president, which means most likely Nancy Pelosi. And I can see people already screaming bloody murder on Fox News. This is a coup d'etat. So if that happens, I believe that Nancy or whoever is the Speaker has to say, I'm a caretaker president. I will not be involved in the election in any way. I'm just going to put my hand on the tiller to keep us moving forward until the next election. We can endure that. We're not going to have any trouble with that. But you've got to be Caesar's wife. So what happens if the Republicans retain control and the Republicans run a candidate like Mitt Romney in the primaries and they primary Donald and he loses? Well, we know what he's going to say. I really won. It was rigged. They rigged it. It was really, I won. The Republican establishment did this. They rigged it. It's all corrupt. And now you have to worry about, is he going to try somehow to do something extrajudicial? Luckily, the latest surveys show the officer corps of the military does not support Trump. You know, soldiers are willing to go and die, but they're not going to die for stupid reasons. <laughs> One of the great lessons we finally got in the American psyche because of Vietnam is, you know, you're going to go die, die for a good reason. Um, and let's assume that he wins the nomination again. And then he loses both the popular vote and the Electoral College. It'll be the same thing. It was all rigged. I really won. It was all those illegals who voted. And the, 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 there's just no good ending to this. But I do think that if they're going to remove Trump on the basis of the Russians, you really do have to talk about can Pence serve. And if they say, we're not going to deal with that, we're going to let him serve, um, 
just think about four years with Mike Pence as president, especially if you're a woman. Especially if you're a woman. And remember this, there are a lot of women who think he should be president because they agree with his, what I would regard as absolutely outrageous misogynist views. But there are a lot of women who support that. So. Sir. Um, with the recent special election in Alabama and, and Doug Jones beating Roy Moore, do you think that portends good things for this November, or was that an aberration you know, with uh, the, Jug, Doug, uh, yeah. the uh, Roy Moore situation? I'm a policy person. I'm not a politics person, okay? But it seems to me there are a couple of lessons from Alabama. One of them is, what a horrible bad candidate they ran. <laughs> it turns out lots of people in Alabama, you know, they paid attention to know about Roy Moore, and um, I suspect that... A, a question arose, and I say this having talked to a few people who are friends of mine who've lived in Alabama, about Roy Moore's behavior that's a little contraindicated. And that is um, just, you know, 32-year-old man gets these 14, 15, 16-year-old girls half naked and liquored up and doesn't try to have sex with them. That suggests there's something else very deep going on in that man's psyche <laughs> that would be death to you as a conservative Republican in Alabama. And um, it, they ran a horrible, terrible candidate. And when Richard Shelby, the senior senator from Alabama, said, I'm not voting for him, what happened? He came under attack. You know, um, if you run a really bad candidate, guess what? You're, uh, you're going to lose. But there are lots of people who are sort of little bad, half bad, you know. Look what happened to Senator Johnston from Utah versus when Mike Lee ran against him from the right. You know, principal guy, Senator Johnston, no relation. Um, and Mike Lee, very unprincipled guy. So I, I, I don't know. It matters a lot who the candidates are that you run. Right now, the Democratic National Committee, if you look at their finance reports, having trouble raising money compared to the Republicans. Money's rolling into the Republicans and not the Democrats. I get these emails every day from Nancy Pelosi, well, not from them, but ostensibly from them, James Carville and others, we need $1 to defeat Donald Trump. Come on, are you serious? These are, these are a joke, and they suggest the, the Democrats still don't have their act together. They haven't for a long time. Is there somebody over here? No. I guess we're going to go, from my perspective, to the right of the room more. <laughs> so I've been very... Now, from my perspective. I've been very mystified why the Republicans are not rising up against Trump. Um, and speculating. Well, that's easy. The, the reason not rise, they're not rising up against Trump is look what happened to Jeff Flake. Who is the most powerful, the, not powerful, the most prominent, important family in Arizona? The people who settled Arizona. It's the Flakes. They got a town name after him, Snowflake. And he can't run. So that's, I'm, I'm not some, George, Jeff uh, Corker, he can't run. They will, in a primary, destroy him. And they'll run the dirtiest campaign in the world. So I, don't be surprised, Donald Trump has essentially a mafia enforcement gang in the Republican Party led by Robert Mercer, the, the hedge fund billionaire who says, literally, in the tape recorded interview, um, the entire worth of human beings is based on their financial net worth. Most Americans are worth nothing. And my cats are more valuable than most Americans because they give me pleasure and that enables me to make more money that makes me a more important and valuable human being. So anyway, all right, now go on. Well, <laughs> I've speculated that, it's, that McConnell and Ryan, uh, that they have a grand plan, let Trump and Pence go down, and then Ryan could be president. And what do you think of that? And then also, what do you think of 
McCabe retiring today. Well, he's retiring because he's not going to be with us much longer. But um, um, I, I, uh, um, yeah, as somebody who's actually broken up conspiracies, I'm not big on conspiracies. And that's not what I see Ryan and, and McConnell doing. Uh, uh, McConnell is a very, very uh, competent legislative practitioner in the Senate. And he gets what he wants, and he knows what he wants, and he plays his cards very, very brilliantly. And he wants out of Donald Trump certain things. He wants this tax bill they just got. And he got it. And by the way, how many of you think Apple and a bunch of other companies just paid billions of dollars in taxes? You read that, didn't you, in the newspapers, heard it on TV? Go to dcreport.org and you will find out they didn't pay it. This was a con game. They will pay it in the future. But you really should go, go to dcreport.org and, and read our story that ran yesterday, the Apple tax scam, because I promise you it is, we just read the bill and they didn't pay the money. Um, so I, I, don't, I, I don't think sort of that's their game. I think they figure we can use this guy. They haven't been real successful at it. I mean, they control the White House, the House, the Senate, and the Supreme Court, arguably, and they haven't done much compared to what you would expect. Sir. Uh, should oh, wait a minute. There's somebody over here. I'll come back to you. Fair enough? Okay, sure. Thank you. Um, so I, I had it resonated with the political termites uh, point you made earlier. And uh, one of the things I've seen as well, being from the center of the country, is there is a sort of divide between the bigger cities that are really getting a lot of benefit in our modern era. So how, what policy or what recommendations would you help say would help empower those sort of middle states, middle yeah. areas? Well, the world changes, okay? If you were born in uh, Dickens, England, you know, life was very different than if your, your grandfather or your grandmother had. And we're in the middle of an enormous fundamental change in the world that we don't understand. We can't understand it because we're in the middle of it. But what we're seeing is large numbers of people being left behind economically, Angus Deaton, the Nobel Prize-winning economist, just had a piece in the New York Times about the millions of Americans who live on a dollar or two dollars a day. I wrote that story for the New York Times for my analysis of the data about 10 years ago, and I wanted to be very cautious so I couldn't be attacked. And the number I settled on after looking at the various ways to do the numbers was seven dollars a day. And, oh, you know, this is obviously untrue. I should be fired. This is incompetent. Deaton's closer to what's right. I actually wanted to use a number of about $3 from the analysis I did. And we haven't figured out what to do about this. What do we do about people who, we're living in a world where the amount of brain power you have and then your willingness to work with that brain power is gonna have a huge determination on your income. Industrial society created jobs through inefficiency. When the first steel was made 2000, more than 2,000 years ago in India, or they invented it, guys with big muscles would take coal, carbon, carbon from coal and wood and pound it into red-hot steel, and it would, take more than, it would take multiple years of labor to create one ton of steel. In vanquished societies in the ancient world, the tribute that was paid to the conqueror was often not paid in gold or diamonds. It was paid in steel. If you watch Game of Thrones, what is the common thread that goes everywhere? Oh, that's a sword made of valerian steel. It's the big 
thing running, all through, one of the big things, all the way through it. And we're now living in a world where, you know, if you weren't born with a lot of smarts, the future doesn't look so good for you. And because inefficiency creates lots of jobs, as we become efficient, they're going to go away. And we have, we're not even talking about what do we do about that. There are proposed solutions. The Capitalist Manifesto of the 1950s had a solution. Everybody should be a capitalist. The problem with that, lots of people, when they get capital, they don't think long term. They don't think about, oh, I've got a million dollars and I can spend $25,000 a year forever. They think, oh, I can buy a sports car and a boat and go gamble. And, and so, you know, human development, we're going to go through a real problem here. And it isn't one state or another, it's the fundamental world economy of what's going on. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a big, big problem, but I don't, I don't know the solution of it. I thought a lot about the problems it's going to bring. And it may lead to a lot of violence. If we don't take care of people one way or another, it's going to lead to a lot of violence. There have been, by the way, a number of very interesting experiments around the world done with a basic income. Everybody gets an income. And the assumption you might have is, well, then people just sit around and drink beer and have sex and not do anything. No, actually, it turns out most people, if you give them a basic income, use that to improve their status. They may not work real hard. They might decide to work a little less hard. But they figure out how to use that income to get an education or start a little business or do something that will improve their lives a little bit. So thank you for your patience. You bet. Uh, related question. Question part A. Um, Lindsey Graham said if Trump fired Mueller, there would be hell to pay. So the question At is... At one day he said do that. You, do you, yeah. yeah. Do you believe that would happen? Part B is if Mueller's report shows an impeachable offense, would the House impeach him, the Republican House, impeach him, and would the Senate convict him? Okay. There's no chance the Republicans are going to impeach Donald Trump barring something really out there. Okay? I mean... What I expect to see in the Mueller report, the Republicans are not going to move on. They're going to explain and excuse it away and everything else. And Lindsey Graham has proven to be as slippery on the issue of Mueller's position as, as you can possibly imagine. First of all, Trump can't fire Mueller. Even though I watched, um, um, sorry, old age, the, um, the independent prosecutor went after Bill Clinton and was later at Star, Ken Starr on Fox News today saying, of course he can fire him, and he should fire him, and he went on and on. It's not true. We have rules and regulations about this. He has to get Rod Rosenstein to fire him. Rod Rosenstein will clearly resign. There's another person, a woman, who's next in line. But go for, down. If you're willing to fire enough people, he'll get to somebody who will fire Mueller for him if he wants. Well, when Archibald Cox got fired, the people just all came to work. Now... If Trump's going to do it, the question is, is he going to try and shut this down? And here's the flaw in the idea of doing that. Mueller's people were very smart to tell Eric Schneiderman, the Attorney General of New York, that it was okay to let the public know that he was working with Mueller's team because many of the crimes Donald Trump has committed are state crimes in New York as well. So pardons won't help him and other things won't help him. And I'm sure that uh, Schneiderman has lots of the records through a sharing arrangement. And they've, they've got the documents right now, if we had the bait stamps on them, which is how lawyers track things, I assure you that number is well past a million and probably millions of pages of documents, witnesses and people you've never heard of. And so um, I don't think the Republicans would act on the firing of Mueller. Some of them would be 
quibble and whatnot, but I don't see Ryan and, and McConnell moving to replace Trump, barring something really outrageous. I mean, if we could come up with a direct videotape where Donald Trump says, Vladimir, I pledge I'm going to turn over America to you. And of course, Donald would say, that's not my voice. <laughs> but why, why wouldn't they? What happened to because why wouldn't, happened why wouldn't to statesmanship? Republicans do it? Yeah. What happened to statesmanship? Well, that, that's, we, we, we got rid of that. Um, uh, and, and we got rid of it through uh, Dick Armey. The congressman from Texas, you're going to be the last guy. Dick Armey, the congressman from Texas, who said, and then it was popularized by Grover Norquist, bipartisanship is date rape. Political date rape. And it used to be that, you know, members of Congress, when they took the train to go to Washington and they were there for months at a time, Democrats and Republicans lived together like cats and dogs. And they drank together, they smoked, they played cards, they did other things men away from home for long periods of time have been known to do. And they knew about each other. That's all gone. There is not a single Democrat living in the same house as a Republican today. Not one. If they share a taxi cab, they think that's bipartisanship. And especially in the House. And we need to stop that. We need to get that back. We need to have people conversing and recognizing that compromise is what democracy is. This my way or the highway, that's got to go. And we can't do that with the Congress we have because it's full of people, especially the Freedom Caucus people, who are my way or the highway. You know, if you're an absolutist about abortion right down to the point where any birth control is, is, uh, it should be illegal, you got to get that person voted out of office. Or you're going to continue to have that argument. You get the, as uh, Lawrence O'Donnell says, the last word, I'll or at least it. the last question. I'll take it. As a Republican, what kind of tax policy? You asking me? I'm a registered Republican. That's well, not that's a Republican. What you said. Oh, what, what does that mean then? <laughs> it means I vote in the Republican primaries. Okay. You get to vote in the Republican primaries. Okay. Where I live, those are the more interesting primaries. All right. I was. I, was, I mean, and by voting in them, you know, it means like you can. I, I got the chance to vote for a man who believes dinosaurs and human beings live together and that the cure of diabetes is cinnamon buns. I mean, how, when do you get opportunities like this? Okay, then, then, then I'll ask my second okay. question then, yeah. so it's not relevant. Do you see the states' rights movement rising in America? What do you mm. think about that? Boy, this is one of the great paradoxes, right? States' rights movements have been a way to put Jim Crow in, to deny the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments, and undo the Civil War. And where is it that states' rights have proven to be most important in recent years is with liberals and progressives. If, if the Democrats during the Al Gore vote re and, and George Bush vote recount had had the courage to say to the Supreme Court, under our Constitution, gentlemen, and you particularly, Justice Scalia, as someone who talks about the original intent, have no business in this matter. This is entirely for the electors of Florida. George Bush probably wouldn't have become president. And yet, no, they were good liberals. They couldn't bring themselves to do this. Um, I, I think we're going to have a lot more discussion in this country about federalism, about separate state laws. You're seeing uh, California basically saying, you don't want to enforce the federal environmental laws? Fine, we got state laws. And now we're going to have a fight over the supremacy clause of the Constitution. Well, I mean, one of the best things you can do is go home and read the Constitution. It's only 4,000 words for the basic Constitution and 3,000 for the amendments. You'll find stuff I'll bet you didn't know was in there. Letters of Mark, blood libel, all sorts of interesting things. So um, I want to leave you with 
the most important message here. Please do read my book, okay? <laughs> because my book is about what matters to you and to your children and to your grandchildren and to the rest of the world. You want to read Michael Wolff's book, which, by the way, verifies my previous book about Donald Trump? Please do. It's entertaining, and it's nice, and he's a great gossip writer. But if you want to know what's happening to our government and what Trump is doing to you, and you want to arm yourself with facts that you are seeing, if you've seen them in the news, mostly just disglancingly, not as a focus, you need to read my book. You can get it at the library. You don't have to buy it necessarily, but read it so that you understand what is being done to our government by this manifestly unqualified criminal cocaine trafficking pal, pal of a cocaine trafficking ignoramus named Donald Trump. So, thank you. Thank you, David. I, I want to quibble with one point. I think you should consider buying the book, and the LA Bay table's right back there, and he's signing them, because that way you have a signed copy, and it's not just the fantastic reporting, but it's the comment as well, as you just heard. Thank you so much for being with us, and we'll see you all soon. Thanks for streaming this extra episode of Speakers Forum from KUOW 94.9 Seattle. This talk by David K. Johnston was presented on January 29th at the Summit on Pike as part of Town Hall Seattle's Civics Series. Thank you to Sonia Harris for our recording. And what ho, subscribe to our podcast when you get a chance. We appreciate your clicks and reviews. We hope you'll tune in again soon.